Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. What do we say, friends? Uh, welcome to another episode of Finsider Radio, a special night in time. It's Monday, usually do this on Wednesday, but with the holiday week, everything's moved forward a couple of days, so here we are. I'm your host until, uh, we'll say, uh, right around, uh, I don't know, we'll do about an hour tonight, I think. Maybe we can fit in a little more, depending on what happens. I uh, have a lot to talk about, as usual. Uh, disappointing day in Miami yesterday. Uh, just a real uh, lackluster effort all around. Uh, managed to give the Dallas Cowboys their first win since the middle of September, which sounds terrible when you realize that next week is the beginning of December. So that was a charitable move. Uh, I'm joined. I actually, let's say I'm flanked. By uh, my usual co-host, we have uh, Duke going on. Uh, I'm just hanging out. Good. I'm glad you're here. We also have Lewis, who has now moved to apathetic Lewis, uh, mainly because he's near the end of his semester, but also because uh, he's just rather miffed with what went down in Miami yesterday. And all the talk that really came out of that game, which was inevitable, I figured if they lost that game, then you'd have people piling on the quarterback. There was plenty of that. There's a lot of people piling on the coaching staff, with which uh, rightfully so. Just looking at some of the stats that came out of yesterday's game, I was completely befuddled by some of the, the play calls and some of the, the strategy we saw in yesterday's game. Uh, we'll get into that further. Uh, another thing is uh, we're supposed to get a call from Kevin tonight. I might have pissed him off on Twitter. I'm not sorry. And uh, we're going to come up with a little game at some point that if he's not calling in, what do you, we think he's doing? And I'm going to give you four options because it's a lock that is, it's one of them. So if he's not calling us and gracing us with his presence, he's doing something else. And I have a pretty good idea. So I'll put those ideas out in a little bit. But first I want to get to this sort of almost just, collective lynch mob going on within the fan base right now toward Ryan Tannehill. And no, he wasn't very good yesterday. There's a lot of mistakes, especially early on. But people tend to forget that this guy is playing now for his second lame duck coaching staff because it's an extension of the first lame duck coaching staff he was presented with. I don't know a lot of quarterbacks who would succeed under those circumstances. I certainly don't think he'd be one of them. Did people, and I shouldn't say, I shouldn't generalize and say people, these people on Twitter going 
just absolutely nuts over Ryan Tannehill saying, I mean, I agree. They should give him more competition, sure. You want to go ahead and get someone that's more than a camp body? Fine. That makes sense. That's always a good call. But at the same time, if you think that this guy is going to prosper and and realize his potential under under an extension of a coaching staff that was broken as well as early as, or we'll say that for a reference point, January 2014, the Philbin regime, and then sort of lasers added, Sherman's out, uh, and then we're, we're gifted this mess. I mean, Campbell's done an admirable job. I mean, he's clearly working hard. Uh, he got these guys to play hard, extremely hard in a couple of games, albeit against some really bad teams. Although, I mean, Houston did knock off Cincinnati last week, so you can't hate on on that too much. But we'll start with, with Duke and this coaching staff. I, I don't think I'm putting myself out there by suggesting that Campbell's probably not going to be back next year. I mean, it, it, it's been nice to see him sort of fill in as a head coach, uh, dare I say moonlight as a head coach, in, in the midst of all this turmoil that has surrounded the team this season. But if you are in charge of this team, uh, what are you looking at as the main problem? you think it's a coaching problem? I know that you're not going to pile on Ryan Tannehill because you've been uh, you've been one of his prime supporters and you've brought up a lot of great points on Twitter in his defense. I don't know if the, the hater crowd even bothers to read what you write because it makes sense. But, I mean, what are you looking at as the, the prime source of infection with this team right now? Well, <laughs> you've got to look at... When, when Philbin came in uh, in 2012, I mean, this team had just come off of a 6-10 and 10 season. Um, lots of, uh, you know, coming off uh, Sperano and Chad Heaney and all that stuff. And you've got to look at positions and just situations have not gotten better. Um, the offensive line has progressively gotten worse. Um the linebacking situation has progressively gotten worse. The um, cornerback position has progressively gotten worse. And I understand some of it, but it just seems like that they brought in Fieldman and they tried to rebuild this team with players that seem to fit, seem to fit a certain mold. And they try to put square pegs in round holes at times. And then they got rid of players like Sean Smith. Now, Keith, you and I talked about it at the time. And we were both in agreement that Sean Smith was probably not worth what he was going to get on the open market. But we also knew that they weren't using him correctly. You don't take a guy with his size and his skill set and turn him into a zone guy. It's, he, that's just not what he does. He's a press guy especially when you watch him play against guys like Larry Fitzgerald in 2012. Did a good job against him. Did a good job against some other guys. But it's kind of like I thought, we've got this plan in place, and it didn't work. And so now Miami's at this situation where they've got areas of the team that are good and areas of the team that are very bad. And if I'm 
if I'm in charge of, if I'm Stephen Ross and I'm, I'm rebuilding this team and I've got to look at all the stuff, I'm looking, all right, number one, I give Dan Campbell a chance. He gets an interview and he gets a chance to tell me in a situation why I need to keep him, how he's going to do things differently from a full-time head coaching perspective, not just an interim. I mean, there's very little he can do at this point. I mean, it's not like he could say, I'm kicking out Bill Lazer and putting in a brand-new offensive coordinator. He's, he's limited in certain things. I would interview those people, and the next thing I would do was I would make sure I bring in uh, the right kinds of talent. I'm not getting rid of players uh, simply because um, simply because they are loud or because they don't necessarily fit a certain certain mold like before. Now, granted, you don't want to bring in the, the Greg Hardy types, but there's nothing wrong with Carlos Stansby. Uh, they got rid of him because he didn't fit the right mold. Um, you know, they got rid of players like that, and, 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 and Miami's hurting for it now. And so that would be where I would start. I would get rid of this idea that there is that we can coach in his particular system. We really just need a guy who can get the right people in place and and get these guys better. I think Campbell can do that. I don't know that he'll get a chance. I think he's a guy that I would like to see him put together his own staff. Don't know that he'll get that chance though. Lewis, what's wrong with this team? Um, this team has. Okay. All right. All right, let me try and muster up the, uh, the the ability to care here because it's just, uh, I'm I'm numb, guys. I really am. Like even for a, the deep ball that Tannehill hit with Landry in the earlier in the game, I couldn't get excited about it because I knew somewhere in the back of my mind that it was like. Yeah, it means nothing. They're going to somehow find a way to blow it later. And lo and behold, they did. I mean, this team has so many issues that there really is no quick fix. This team needs to be hit the reset button. Now, the question is, what pieces do you retain? Because obviously you cannot hit the total reset because then you pretty much have to do like it's a Madden game and do a fantasy draft because it doesn't work that way. There are pieces you're going to have to find a way to keep. So at this point, it's not so much about looking for what to get rid of. It's more along the lines of what to keep for whoever is going to be showing up next. Dan Campbell is not going to be the head coach for the Dolphins. I'm, I, think he'll, I think we'll be lucky if Dan Campbell stays a coach for the Dolphins at all because if he gets demoted back to tight end coach, I'd be perfectly fine with that. He's a great motivator. He's great with the players, and they like him a lot. So just having him in the locker room at all would definitely be nice. And as much as the players like Campbell, they're going to have to realize that he doesn't know how to be a head coach. And I'm sure that he'll – I'm sure that he's going to go out and say that, guys, I I didn't really know – that much about it. I was still learning the game. I was kind of in over my head because he's not going to tell that to the media, obviously, but he's very candid with the players and he'll probably say something along the lines of, I wasn't ready for that responsibility. And that's why it didn't work, which is fine. It's being honest. So if Campbell stays, I'll be happy. Everybody else though needs to get out. I don't want anybody else in that, in that place. 
I wish we had been able to keep uh, Casey Rogers and probably make him the defensive coordinator. That probably would have been a great idea, but it didn't work out that way. So now he's a Jet. I don't want Campbell to go to the Jets. I'm, I'm tired of former Dolphins coaches going over there and suddenly being good coaches. That's that's annoying. I don't want that to happen. So you keep Campbell, and everybody and everybody else can get out. So now you have the option of a Hugh Jackson, a Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shula. Everybody wants Mike Shula because of the Don Shula connection. I personally don't care because Mike Shula and Don Shula, just because they share a last name, does not mean they're the same coach. So it doesn't work that way. And, of course, there's the whole Sean Payton uh, aspect, but I don't want him either because he wants full control, and that means it's going to have to rec- – and that's going to be asking too much. Sean Payton's talent evaluation is meh. So I kind of don't want that either. You also have the Eric Mangini. Les Miles. Miles. Yeah. Uh, I I saw saw that name thrown out there today. Well, I was just surprised by it. I mean, the the guy hasn't even been fired and bought out by LSU boosters yet. That's an incredible story into itself. Uh, Let me, um, you mentioned Eric Mangini too, which continues to, I think trend certainly in my mind because of who's going to make that hire. But let me ask both of you, and and it's a very simple question. Uh, Do you lean more toward hiring the new guy or a retread? Because I'm seeing a lot of flack toward both approaches right now, because obviously we we just parted ways with a, a new coach and the retreads has always been a bit of a nightmare for this team. So, if you had to lean one way, which way would you go? Um, do you I, want me to go first? I don't care. I don't care as long as it's the right guy. I mean, I know a lot of fans have to retread because it's a big name. I mean, you, every time there's a question about coaching, you hear Bill Cowher's name come up. I've seen a lot of John Gruden. It's just because at this point, it's almost the same with free agency. Uh, with the players is like you know it's yeah it's nice to draft a great defensive tackle but you don't know that he'll be great but you know Indominus is great so let's go ahead and get the proven commodity but it doesn't necessarily translate all the time uh, and so I think if you hire a guy like say Sean Payton and he comes in and doesn't do very well then fans are going to you know they're going to be completely uh, exasperated because they're going to be like how you know we have new coaches they don't work high retreads, they don't work. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't care. If, as long as it's the right guy, as long as they know what they're doing. I mean, it's like one guy I, I, I read on Twitter. It's like, watch other teams execute plays and then watch Miami. It's like the Keystone Cops out there. I mean, you have the you – know, you have that play where the ball bounces out of the end zone. They get it at the two-yard line. They run the ball a couple times. They run on third down – Pick up the first down, and it's called back due to a holding penalty. It's like this team is just a is a is a sad comedy going on, and I'm not putting that on Dan Campbell uh, because it's like I was telling someone on the side. I think when he when you listen to his press conferences and some of the stuff he said, I mean, he came he, he did everything but call Joe Philbin a pansy in his opening press conference. I think he's pretty much like, <laughs> look, this is the cards that I'm dealt. I'm trying to do the best I can. You know, I mean, it's to use a. Uh, I mean, he's like he's like one of those teams in NASCAR that 
doesn't have the, all the resources that the big names have, and they're trying to win races. Like, look, you know, I can't win with, with the equipment you, you're giving me. And you watch this team. And somewhere in the back of his mind, he's thinking, what is this crap that I'm watching? How is this, how is this guy here continue to make these fundamentally stupid errors, holding penalties, just, I mean, just stupid stuff that, yeah, it happens to every team, but it's like it just adds on and adds on with the Dolphins. So I don't care who they bring in as coach. If you can clean that kind of stuff up, if you can get your offensive line to actually block people without holding and pick up first downs, you know, I, I'm tired of seeing third and 27. I, I mean, I knew as soon as it happened yesterday when the ball was it was third and forever, you could see they showed it on TV. The defense was backed up to the line of scrimmage. They're pretty much saying, you're not throwing a first down. We're going to give you something short. That's what Tannehill did. Complaints came out about that. But that's what you're doing. You can't live in third and forever. Miami seems to do that every week. Against the Patriots a few weeks ago, third and forever. I mean, it's just like this team cannot get out of their own way. So as long as the coach can get them to get out of their own way, I'm cool with whoever that is. Does it also mean you're good with offense, defense-minded guys? You know, it doesn't matter there. You're just looking for the right guy. Yeah, I mean, I just want them to, I just want them to play smart. I mean, it's, you know, you watch a couple of drives, and they look like game busters. You know, the uh, the the opening drive, I understand it was pouring rain, there's some drops, and they looked good. Then he'll hit a couple of deep passes. I mean, all the stuff we did, and it's like, well, we filled our good quota for the day. Let's fill out our ugly quota. And here comes the penalties. Here comes the stupid special team stuff. I mean, just, just, just dumb stuff. That I mean, it looks like a JV football team out there. They don't look like they are even into it. And I mean, I'll give the defense some slack. I mean, they held Dallas to 17 points. They had guys like uh, Zach Vigil and Neville Hewitt playing. Serious minutes, and these guys are undrafted rookies. They're going to get beat. I'm fine with that. But it's like you have guys on the offensive line. And, you know, I think it was Pouncey this week said, you know, we, yeah, he didn't have a problem punting because I can't even pick up a third and six. Stop getting penalties, you idiot. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, it's just dumb. And it's just, it's so bad to watch. I can't sit here and. This blows my mind how other teams can just execute so well, and Miami cannot. And I can't. I'm not blaming on talent. I mean, Miami's got enough talent. Lamar Miller rushed for what six something yards a carry yesterday. Had seven carries. That's inexplicable. I mean, it's just it's just stupid stuff. And that ultimately falls back on the coaching staff, which ultimately falls back on Philbin because he put together most of the staff. So, you know. Whoever comes in to coach, I don't care if he's a defensive genius, an offensive genius. I don't care if it's a high school coach. As long as he can get these guys to play like an actual team, I'm fine. Well, one thing you mentioned, and, I mean, there's there's a plethora of scenarios you can draw up with each coaching candidate you're seeing on the short list and the long list for Miami right now. Uh, I think – I, one of you mentioned Kyle Shanahan, uh, who's obviously going to get attention uh, from the fact that what he's doing with the Falcons right now. Uh, I mean, you, you see a lot of anti-Shanahan stuff. You see some some stuff that praises his work. I do know this. Uh, I imagine that Miami would be a, a 
pretty attractive gig for that guy, considering the personnel, because he built his teams on, he likes to go heavy with, uh, he likes to depend on a, a big name receiver, or uh, an X, if you will. Uh, and he's got that in Atlanta, and he really depends on the running game to open that up, which we would have, presumably, provided we don't screw that up. Uh, I would imagine that Devontae Parker would be a big fan of Kyle Shanahan, too, given uh, the, the structure of Atlanta's offense and what they've been able to achieve uh, and the the fact that they play they place a marquee premium on what their their big receivers are able to do. So, I mean, I don't know. There's there's plenty of names to retread new guys. Um, so, some of the names make a little bit of sense. Some of them are just flat ridiculous. I saw somebody talking about Lane Kiffin the other day. Uh, the Lane, Lane Kiffin's candidacy as a uh, professional head coach pretty much died the day that Al Davis gave that press conference uh, prior to the 2008 season when he was talking about how he fired him because he wouldn't start Jamarcus Russell. That was the, Jamarcus Russell is a great player. That was that conference, and that will forever uh, haunt my dreams, both in uh, both in tone and uh, and aesthetically as a visual. So I mean, I don't know the, the right guy here. I don't. I mean, there's so many names that we can vet. But my it, here's here comes the part where I sit there and I and I beat up the the current regime and make note of the fact that I've always defended Steve Ross, but culpability. Uh, is in his direction too in terms of this entire situation because time and time again instead of just going for the full reboot which I understand a lot of people say it's not like an NES game or a video game you can't just reset it and be done but in January 2014 he had a chance to do that and, and put together a full rebuild instead of this sort of BS piecemeal thing this team has done time and time again where instead of going ahead and just flushing it, they keep remnants of, you know, uh, we're going to get rid of the offensive coordinator, but uh, Kevin Cole is going to stick around because we really like what he's doing on the the defensive side of the ball. We love the fact that he's got our defense underachieving week in and week out. So, and it goes with the, the head coach too. I mean, Joe Philbin really should have pushed the button on him. It was clear pretty much out of the gate that that guy didn't have it as a head coach. His in-game management was terrible. Uh, his ability to get to eat maximum production out of his players, which is a thing that the Hall of Fame coaches uh, are able to do. They just have a natural aptitude for it. They have a knack. Right out of the gate, clearly he didn't get it. The next season, you got it coming out that the team is, I will use the term bullying. I don't know what was really going on, but he had no idea what was going on in his locker room. He had no idea what was going on with his team. So you're just given all of these red flags that this guy is just not right for the job. And, it's, and then Ross kept him around anyway. I get it. You're loyal. But at some point, you need to go ahead, face facts, understand that you can't polish a turd and you just got to cut the cord. And he wasn't able to do that. It sounds like the team wasn't even interested in interviewing Dan Quinn last year because they're just going to keep Philbin around. Now, 
Dan Quinn hasn't done anything with the Atlanta Falcons, so, I mean, this is just pure short-sighted hindsight. But speaking from that perspective, I'd still take Dan Quinn over Joe Philbin because it, it looks at least that people want to play for Dan Quinn. It looks like Seattle's, Seattle's entire defense is ready to go to Atlanta when their contract expires because they want to play for that guy. And I'm not saying that I just want to get him so I could bring Seattle's defense to town because, frankly, uh, that's an incredibly uh, dysfunctional unit right now. But I mean, just when you have players you want to play for a coach, it, it gives you a sense that that guy knows what he's going to be. So, I mean, this whole piecemeal garbage that this team has done time and time again, uh, we'll say the past, we'll, we'll say the past four years. It's just, it's just not doing it. And it's like when they brought in Brian Babel and we're like, yeah, you know, we're, we're expecting good things from this guy because he was able to really get, do great things with, I think it was the second to last or last rated defense in Cleveland or offense. I mean, I mean, he, he, he coordinated a, a Cleveland Browns team that just couldn't score. And then inexplicably, they bring him to town, and they're like, here's your new offensive coordinator. Thanks, guys. Can't wait. So it's, and, and, it's, the sad, and the sad thing about that is, I think if that team had had Ryan Tannehill, I think they could have made the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, in, in that regard, it's just like, I mean, you mentioned that these guys are like the Keystone Cops. That is a perfect description of it. That is exactly what's going on here. It's just futility and just a complete inability to grasp and uh, and utilize talent that they have on the roster. Why are you running Lamar Miller seven times a game or seven, time, seven times yesterday? When you know that really – I would say that he's one of the better backs in the league right now. When he's had a chance, He's been outstanding, and he he was not going up against Dallas's doomsday defense from the seventies yesterday. Yet, yet yeah, they, to me the to me the biggest indictment of the entire Philbin regime was what I saw on Twitter back when Dan Campbell was hired, where and we brought it up on the show before they brought in Al Saunders, and one of the first things they talked about the work he worked with Tannehill on timing on the deep ball. That's clearly the biggest issue everyone has with Ryan Tannehill. Look at what he's done this year. He's been so much better with the deep ball. I mean, it's it's so much better. It's not even, you know, Mike Wallace. But we've got, I mean, Kenny Seals dropped one last week. I mean, it's not just the, it's that the timing's been better. Nobody's perfect on every throw. But he's been so much better on the deep throws. And it's year four of his career, and he's just now getting proper coaching on, hey, you know, you don't need to do this on the deep ball. You need to time it here and do this. That is, that that's just bad. How can you do that? How can you how can you be a coach for four years and not do something as elementary as that? I mean, that's like trying to teach a, a kindergartner how to do calculus without first first teaching them how to add. It, it's it's mind blowing. I mean, there's just so much to get mad about. It's a really frustrating thing to do. I encourage anyone who gets easily flustered or easily upset or perturbed to just not look back on the last four years of the, well, to not look back on the last 15 years of this, of this team, really, if you want to split hairs. But it, it, it's bad. 
and it continues to be bad. And now we have Tannenbaum in there. Or I, I don't know how how much of it is a, a Hecabom structure. I don't know. I'm obviously not privy to those details. But now now it's going to be his show, uh, quote unquote, to really put this thing together. I don't know if he goes with Mantini. I'm not sure if he you know he sits there and he pilfers some other coach, uh, staff guy. I'm not sure. But, I mean, something needs to be done. And, I mean, Dan Campbell should be commended for what he's been able to do with this team, I guess, just because, I mean, he takes over this role. And let's be honest, I mean, you mentioned it too. When he took over the gig, I mean, he was like a, you know, what's the, I mean, the the saying, the one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. That was Dan Campbell when he took over this, this gig. Talk about just a low ceiling and... I mean, the feeling was, ah, I guess there's nowhere to go but but up, but it's still not not an incredibly uh, promising venture. You know, and they come out and they beat down Tennessee. They absolutely smoke Houston. And, I mean, they had to reserve it in the third quarter, I think. So, I, I, I don't know. But something, something's got to happen. And I just want to say another thing. I'm incredibly frustrated that Kevin has not called in yet to the point where I'm thinking about just banning him from this show forever. If if you are listening, you need to call in. And so I'm going to offer up one of four options as to what Kevin is doing right now. Because, well, I'll offer up number one, and this is a little bit of spoiler alert. Uh, number one is live tweeting. Is he live tweeting the Patriots Bills game going on right now? I'm not looking. I'm not on Twitter right now. Number two. Is he playing Call of Duty Black Ops 3? Because you know he has that game. I think he has PS4. I don't think he's an Xbox guy, but I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him in so long. I've started to, I've started to forget what he looks like. <laughs> Number four, is he just watching the Patriots and Bills game? Or number three. And number four is listening to Journey's Escape album, because we all know that's his favorite. <laughs> And it's got to be a particular album. It's just not listening to Journey because he does enjoy the greatest hits. What do you think he's doing? I'm going right to put option number five. He's still in mourning over uh, Jeff Gordon's retirement. Yeah. I'll ask that. Okay. I, you know, I'll I'll take the, the low-hanging fruit there because, I mean, um, I know you guys are both NASCAR fans. Uh, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter. It sounded like they – they shed a tear over uh, watching that guy take that walk one last time. Where did you get a little misty? Um, so wasn't watching. I didn't catch it until they were actually um, had already. I, I caught it at the. Uh, they were just finishing up the um, national anthem. So um, I, I didn't catch that part. Wow. Sure. To the point. So like tweeting the game to a certain extent. He doesn't go play by play like I do, but he's 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 letting everybody know what that New England is winning, which I'm sure they are by now. That's too bad. Uh do you guys uh okay if we take a call? Uh, it's not Kevin. Is it Dolphin fan for life? Not unless he, not unless he's from northern New Jersey. So let's go ahead and uh 
Uh, New, New Jersey, you're on the air. What's, what's going on? Hey, guys, it's Zach. From, I, I actually live in Philly, but close, close. Oh, well, <laughs> that means that your area okay. code fooled me. I guess yeah, I'm, not it's, it's a little look, I'm not used to looking at area codes from the, the metro tri-state area, so that's on me. I needed to no, come a little fair. bit more streetwise. That's that's the, uh, the Midwesterner in me coming out. Uh, so, I mean, we we talked about this a little bit today. This is Zach, everyone. Uh, he, uh, or Zach, Duke, and uh, I have uh, a little bit of a conversation every so often. We hadn't done it in a while, but we usually sit there and just bitch about how much this team sucks um, every so often. And it's cathartic, I think. It, it's close to therapy at times. And, I mean, like, we also get excited about this team. Like, when they drafted uh, Devontae Parker, and we look forward to watching him sit on the bench all year, we were, you know, we sat there and we talked about it. So what what's on your mind um, yesterday's game? Obviously, I, I don't know if you've managed to get the taste of it on your mouth yet, but... What are your thoughts? Uh, a day removed from from that pile of uh, of poo the the Dolphins dropped on uh, on all of South Florida. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I'm not. I feel like I'm not as upset this year as prior years because of the whole Philbin firing, you know, Campbell interim thing. Um, I'm I'm more upset as I've told you guys about like the young guys not playing, like especially Devontae Parker, like. I just don't understand what's happening. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and that's true. And you mentioned Jordan Phillips too. Oh, I mean, Jordan, is, Jordan Phillips has been beautiful. It's I don't get it, and I mean that's a that's a great point you bring up. That I mean at this point, I mean, what are you really playing for? Do you think you're you're going to be that sixth team in in the playoffs? Hell no. I mean that's crazy talk. I mean, this is a time where I mean, do you have a golden opportunity to get your your younger guys some experience? Now, maybe you're a little gun shy at the end of November, and I mean, Dallas comes to town, and you think you have to put on a show. But I mean, it's if that's the case, then you're just cutting off your nose to spite your face because the starters yesterday looked like crap. The I, I, the just, I just don't plan? understand. I, I don't understand the whole. Um, you know, he's showing flashes like they're saying like he's not mentally there and ready to go when in preseason all we heard is how this guy's got his, you know, face in the playbook and going to town on it, and he's tearing up Brent Grimes and company. But now, you know, four months down the road, he's just showing flashes. Yeah. It's You don't have to – you don't have to insert him into your playbook necessarily to run these – Certain to, to, to run things. I understand that right now Rashard Matthews is ahead of him. But what you can do is you've got to have a couple of plays in the playbook where you say, all right, we've got this dude who's 6'3". He's a red zone threat. He was a yak monster in college. Jeez, I don't know. Is there some plays we can run to utilize that? And it's like they don't even think that. It's like, no, I've got my set of plays that I'm going to run I've got to run more and more wide receiver screens to Jarvis Landry. I have to do it. I have to keep running that pitch play that never works. Let's keep doing that. No, it's just futility. I mean, some, somebody, whoever comes in next year is going to say, dear Lord, they had this dude on their roster and they didn't use him? What the heck's the problem? And they're going to laugh about it. 
And they're going to sit back and enjoy a sip of brandy and smoke a cigar while Dan Hill's throwing up bombs to Devontae Parker, and he's scoring 20 touchdowns. It's just – it blows my mind. I, I mean, yeah, he doesn't need to run 50 plays a game, but you've got to have some plays for that guy, and they're not. It's just inexplicable. I mean, Green Beckham, who supposedly didn't know anything, runs, you know, 40% of the snaps for Tennessee now. You know? Yeah. I and mean, the guy okay, who um, that is like a. Go ahead. Hello. Okay. Um, my understanding of the situation is that it has nothing to do with Parker's knowledge of the playbook or anything like that. It's more along the lines of uh, you brought up all the reports about how Parker was doing so well and all this other stuff, but that was before he went in for that surgery and missed all the training camp, and now all the reports are essentially saying that Parker is scared of his own foot. Now, if you think that the cure for that is to get him to play, then that's another argument altogether. But I understand that if the Dolphins are trying – I understand the reports that he needs to get his head together, and I do agree with that, but it has nothing to do with him having any knowledge of the playbook or anything like that. My understanding is that he doesn't trust his foot yet, and he's only showing flashes because it seems like he is timid about – using that foot, and that's why I don't mind if the Dolphins decide to essentially redshirt this guy and let him get his feet back under him, so to speak, next year when it's really going to matter because Greg Jennings will no longer be there and there's no competition for that fourth spot. And we don't even know if Rashard Matthews will be back, so the Dolphins will be depending even more on Devontae Parker, and that's why I think that it would actually be a good idea if we didn't see Parker for the rest of the year because we we made him get that surgery specifically for the fact that we wanted to save him for the long term. We wanted to make sure that even if he didn't play that much this year, he was going to be ready for the next seven years. And that is the point that we wanted to make. This is, the, this is essentially what we understood. We knew this was going to happen, and we also did not anticipate Richard Matthews stepping up to the point where he is at. And because Matthews has been able to play so well, and because Landry is still who he is, and because Kenny Stills is like the one speedy deep threat we have got, that means that unless you want to run four wide receiver sets all the time, there really is no room for Devontae Parker in the offense right now. And for that reason alone, I don't mind Parker not playing. Now, if you want to have a few plays for him here and there in like a set package, that's fine. I understand that point. I'm not going to argue that. But to expect him to be a major contributor, especially when he didn't get to play any training camp, um, I'm really not going to be able to go with that because it's like this kid, who, this rookie who is not who who – didn't get to play because of his own foot, I don't want to throw him in there to the wolves and say, okay, good luck. You didn't get to play training camp. Now you're going to have to go in there and ball out without it. So I don't mind what the Dolphins are doing with Parker right now, and I would rather they wait until next year anyway. But what's what's yeah, still there is, is an issue because if they don't re-sign Matthews and Greg Jennings is gone, then you, you're going to, he's got a guy going in who's pretty much green and – you don't know if he will even be as good as Rashard Matthews is right now. So, I mean, I've played tons and tons of basketball in my lifetime, and I've turned my ankles more times than I care to think about. And every time it happens, I, I, I you know, when, when the pain's over and I can, everything's good, I'm like, I'm never playing basketball again. Even when I was younger. Well, that either means you're very brave or very reckless, Duke. No, well, I mean, but, but it's the thing. At some point, you get out there on the court, 
and you've got all these ankle braces on, and you feel like you're you're running around with with two by four strapped to your legs, pretty much. And then at some point, those come off, and you're back to normal. So, to me, and I mean, everybody looks at, I mean, just about everybody's played sports, and they they've all looked at it differently. But at some point, you've got to say, all right, you know, at some point, the coach has got look. If you can't go. Tell us you can't go. Make him inactive. Put Hazel in. Do something. But don't keep him active and don't let him do anything. If, if you think he's good enough to go, then, then make the guy go out there and, and make a cut. And if he won't, I mean, I, I don't know. But I'd, re- I'd rather see him get some plays. Now, him being a major contributor is not happening because we're 10 games in. I mean, if he catches 10 games, 10, he does catch 10 balls every game for the rest of the season to be a major contributor. He's, you know, if he gets 20 catches this year, that'll be at least a positive. But you've got to do something for him. And I'm pretty sure as soon as really? that happens, I mean, unless there's some lingering pain or a lingering issue, as soon as he goes out there and makes that first cut, as soon as he does something, he's like, all right, I can do this. And he'll get that. He'll get back to it, and it'll be it'll be on. But you've got to get him out there to do it. Hope so. Um, we're going to go to the phone again, actually. Looks like we got another caller. This one appears to be from, it says, uh, Texas. Please, please be Jonathan Kane of Journey. Please. No, I'm <laughs> sorry, it's not. <clears throat> I'm so pleased that you're able to take a break from live tweeting, playing Call of Duty, and listening to Escape to give us a call. <laughs> I'm I'm glad I got a chance to call in. Um, I'm actually watching the game at a sports bar, so it's nice and loud, but I figured at halftime I'd make the call and try to give you guys a chance to up the quality of the show a little bit. Oh. <laughs> that, 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 that's pointed. Uh, the one thing I do want to bring up is, uh, are you at a sports bar with your new friends from Pat's Pulpit? No, no, I'm not, but... Uh, I, I am. Uh, He's a traitor, everyone. He's a traitor. I am having fun with Pat's pulpit tonight because I so want the Bills to lose, and it it hurts me so much, so much to be rooting for the Patriots. But the Bills losing keeps the Dolphins a game out of the playoffs, so that's all I care about. You, you really you want to have a shot at it, Keith? Uh, not Keith, Kevin. Yes. What? I don't know. I. I think of when I think of the uh, the Dolphins' current situation, I think back to that show in Living Color and that homeless guy whose bathroom was a pickle jar. And oh yeah, they are they are the pickle jar right now. I don't want that pickle jar playing national games and getting. I don't know. I just I'm. I, I think I've reached. Point, uh, do I actually sure. think the Dolphins are going to make the playoffs? Probably not. But I would much rather watch. November and December football with the shot at getting to the playoffs than the November and December football trying to figure out where the Dolphins are in the draft order. So even if it's a long shot, I'd much rather keep them in the playoff contention and go into each week going, let's win. These are the teams that need to lose to help the playoff shot. Well, here's the problem with that. And I, I agree, by the way, but you're going into these ga- these must-win games within within striking distance of a playoff berth, and you're running Lamar Miller seven times. Yes. Oh, I absolutely I, agree. And I know, you know that are, maybe people, they want that draft spot. 
real bad? I don't know, but that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. People had a big issue today with my article on why the plane call, why the play calling needs to change, and a lot of it was, or one of the points was that it doesn't take into account the fact that the team was in long distance situations and penalties were killing the team, and that's why they went away from Lamar, Lamar Miller, and. I agree. There was, to some degree, play calling was changed by penalties. Play calling was changed by safety. Play calling was changed by Jarvis Landry deciding to let a ball bounce in the end zone. But that must have been the fact that it was seven carries. Continue, Kevin. Continue. I hear Kevin Peavy. Can yeah. you guys hear me? Hey, Kevin. Oh, there you are. Buffalo Wild Wings was too loud there for a second, but we're glad you're back. It's, it's actually old Chicago, but sorry. Uh, yeah, I started getting a weird echo. So I don't what know. What is but old no, Chicago? Was, say again? What is old Chicago? It's like a pizza wings pub type place with 110 beers like, on tap. Oh, is it actually like Chicago deep dish pizza? Or did they just like slap that title on it? To... No, it it does have Chicago deep dish pizza. That's got to be quite the racket down in Texas. And one of my friends who lives down there was just talking about, just complaining about the fact that he doesn't like the food down there. It's good, plus the fact that like half the bar each week is Dolphins. So, mm, you found a Dolphins bar there. It, it it kind of does become a dolphin's bar. I'm I'm at some point I'm gonna put up a dolphin flag in the in the restaurant. Good for you. That's awesome. I wish we had a dolphin's bar around here. We don't. We have Packers there are more Packers bars around here than Bears bars. You figure that one out. That makes no sense <laughs> to me whatsoever, but that's the world we live in, I guess. So um Yeah, there's both sides. To what, what you're saying right now, I get it. I mean, I'm so, I guess I'm so apathetic and just so far removed from thinking of this team as a playoff caliber uh, contender that I almost just want somebody to just take them out back and shoot them, just, just put them out of their misery. The way I look at it is, the team needs to learn to win, and over the past few years, we've been mediocre at seven to nine or eight and eight. If this team can make it to the playoffs, no matter if it's the Dan Marino final game, 62-7 to against the Jaguars in the playoffs, the fact that they oh, no. made it establishes them as, hey, we know how to win. We know how to put it back together. We know how to get to the playoffs. Next year, you take that next step. And the year after that, you take the next step. And then eventually you are challenging the Patriots for the division. You are challenging for the AFC Championship. But until you get to that point, going six and ten or five and eleven doesn't do you any good. Or four and twelve. Uh, that that yeah. sounds incredibly uh, optimistic. And it, it, <laughs> I, it also, it, I, I just have to look at the team, though, Kevin, because if last couple of years I was able to look at the team and think, okay, there's still some reason to hope because this team actually looks like they're playing good football most of the time. But this year is completely different. It looks like these Dolphins 
they, they, like you said, they don't know how to win. Last year, at least they knew how to win. They just didn't execute. This year, it doesn't look like they didn't even know how to do that much. And I, that's why I have, like, little to no hope that there's, they're actually going to start to just play better because there's no way that they're going to be able to win these next however many games are left. I can't even remember right now if they don't start playing better, quick, fast, and in a hurry. And I have seen no signs that that's going to change anytime soon, given the chance, given the idea of what the play calling is, given the level of talent that's currently on the team, and I, I just don't see it happening. See, I disagree. Yeah, with beyond, I disagree. There's been a beyond. lot of arguments that the team doesn't have talent, and I think the team has okay, the they talent. Have talent the but not in the right places. They have, they have been. I disagree. I think they have the talent. I think the problem is, the team was coached to the point of putting that talent in the wrong spot. And Dan Campbell is starting to put that talent into the right spot. You're starting to see it. It's starting to show. We, we for years, have screamed that Ryan Tannehill can't throw the deep ball, yet now he throws two or three a game, and suddenly it's, oh, well, it's not five. So we ignore the fact that we've had three in the game. But, oh, it's, it, it, it's not enough. Well, okay, well – Last year, we said he couldn't throw it at all. This year, he throws two or three a game, and we say that it's not enough. What is happening here? We as a fan base suddenly change our definition of what success is and suddenly say, oh, well, it's still not enough. It's still not enough. It's never enough for us as a fan base. And I agree. I, look, don't get me wrong. A 4-6 and six team is not what I want at this point. But we, we continue to say, oh, the talent's not there, even though it is. It's the coaching at this point that I think is the problem. And I think Dan Campbell was trying to change it. But I think that at this point, Bill Lazor, I don't know if it's the Joe Philbin handle on him that, oh, you have to get away from the run game, and he can't break out of that yet, or if he just really, despite the fact that he was a quarterback coach in Philadelphia where they led the team in rushing or led the league in rushing, I don't know when he was a college offensive coordinator, he rushed the ball all the time. But suddenly, as a Dolphins offensive coordinator, he forgets that Lamar Miller can run the ball. Clearly, that's where the issue is. The Dolphins have to find a way to use the talent they have, and they're not doing it. The skill players are there. I know that there are members of the Finsider. I know there are Dolphins fans out there that are going to absolutely hate that idea. This team has the talent at the skill positions. It needs to develop some, like Devontae Parker, like you were talking about a little while ago. Devontae Parker has to develop. He has to get in there. He has to trust his foot. But the talent, the skill is there. They just need to bring it out. I think the biggest issue goes back to the offensive line. Until that offensive line can figure out a way to protect Ryan Tannehill and not hold at the same time, <laughs> this team can't go anywhere. Okay. I, I, I want to hit on I, something you said there about the uh, – about the deep ball. There was a comment. I don't know if I saw it on Twitter or the site or where it was, but I think it was right after the Jarvis Landry, the second deep pass. He hits he hits two in that game. Uh, the first one Jarvis Landry could have caught. It was slightly underthrown, but it's still catchable. First point about that is that happens to every quarterback every week. Now, if all you watch is the highlight shows, you don't see that. What, you, what most people, it seems to me, don't ever watch is they don't turn on the Red Zone channel and watch Aaron Rodgers throw one five feet short of the receiver. They don't watch all these other quarterbacks that I think are so much better than Tannehill do the exact same thing. But the comment that I saw was, well, 
yeah, he hit on some deep balls. That doesn't absolve him at the first. I'm like, I'm done. You, you can't deal with that because, first of all, he can't hit one. So when he hits two, at least two out of three, that's 57%. That's pretty darn good. But, no, he missed the first one, so that's not good enough. It's like, all right, it's, 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 I don't know. You just, apparently people aren't watching quarterbacks play. I mean, okay. they're either watching – I mean, you hear about Tan Hill can't throw the ball deep, or he stays in. He only throws short, thinking dunk passes. Well, that's what they're watching on Monday night. I mean, I don't know what Brady's doing, but every game I've ever watched him play, he's throwing the ball short, letting guys run. Against the Giants, the two he, he threw one interception behind the receiver. The next time he threw a deep pass, it was ten yards short, and the guy should have intercepted it. Imagine if that had been Tan Hill. Oh, you know, just the uproar. It, it's just. Like you said, it, it, it's the expectations. Well, Tannehill hits one deep ball. He needs to hit the second one. If he doesn't, I'll see he's still bad. He hits three out of four. Well, he missed one. It, it's just dumb stuff. I don't I don't know how to put it any other way. Just this this last if this game team doesn't go nineteen zero every year. Then they he hit blow it two or four. Tannehill hit two or four this last game. The two that he didn't hit. One was a drop, one was a defensive play. Everybody's jumping on that defensive play because, oh, he should have led the receiver more, yet if he led the receiver more and it was incomplete, he would have been inaccurate because he overthrew the ball. But he hit two of four, so that's 50%. The league average is somewhere around 40%. So he's still hitting ahead of the league average, yet we as Dolphins fans aren't aren't accepting of that. We we need more. We need him dropping back and throwing that 40-yard bomb every single pass play or else we're not happy. So the play calling for the Dolphins needs to either be hand the ball to Lamar Miller or a 40-yard bomb. Those are the two calls that Bill Lazor can make and make Dolphins fans happy. Because at this point, does, does, okay, I, I argued it today. The Dolphins have to change the play calling. I'm not arguing that they don't. They're, the the two-yard out route is ridiculous. Third and 15, and you're throwing it two yards and expecting Jarvis Landry to make it 13 more yards down the field, it doesn't work. I completely agree with that. But at the same time, you can't expect a 40-yard bomb or a handoff to Lamar Miller every single time. Those two plays aren't the only things that are out there. Now, Keith, I know that you're having problems with the background noise behind me, so I will leave on that note. But thank you for letting me call in tonight. No, 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 I'll, no, no, no. Uh, oh, I'll hang what? Up Wait, hey. Oh, what? I wasn't done with you, Kevin. What? <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, he's gonna take off before I can offer a rebuttal. Cease. It's like I don't disagree with your point about the coaching, Kevin. I totally get that. But I don't look at just talent as the starting. I don't look at just starting lineup for talent. I also look at overall depth. I'm gonna I'm gonna think about I'm gonna mention where I think the Dolphins have talent right now. I think they have talent at quarterback. I like Tannehill. Matt Moore is eh, backup. Okay, whatever you could do better. You, they have talent at running back. Lamar Miller, JHI, excellent there. I don't mind that. That's good for me. Wide receiver. I love wide receiver right now. Whether it's next year or this year, right now, I like wide receiver. Tight end is okay. Jordan Cameron's not playing as well as we hoped, and Deion Sims is making the mistake here and there. We could do better there. Offensive line, yuck. It's been yuck for the past however many years, ever since Tannehill got into the league. There's a big problem there. There's lack of talent on that unit. And then we get into the defense, and the Dolphins has the worst linebacker core in football. I really believe that. If you have Kelvin Shepard as your starting middle linebacker, that is a big talent 
problem. I don't think Kelvin Shepard would even be a primary backup for a lot of football teams, and that is a big problem. And then you have Cole Amici, who's constantly hurt, and even when he isn't hurt, he's not doing that well. And Jelani Jenkins now, who is hurt, and he's, he's the best linebacker we have who's actually a linebacker. Now, I say that because Rashad Jones, our strong safety, is actually also our best linebacker. So he's really talented. I give him that talent. Then you have Brent Grimes as the boundary corner. He's the pro bowler. He's still really good. We need to keep him because he's the best thing we've got. And then we lose all that extra talent that we were looking for because Jamar Taylor is bad and Walt Akins is not playing well. Michael Thomas is, eh, okay, most of the time, I guess. And Bryce McCain is bad. So all of these other things, we go down to the depth and we get into the rookies, and that has potential, but we don't know for sure because a lot of it is, well, hopefully, maybe he will develop. So I don't look at just talent as the starting lineup. I also look at it as the depth of the team, and right now the depth of the team is very bad. Jawan James went down, and we got to Jason Fox. Jason Fox has been awful. He's been absolutely awful. Brandon Albert goes down. What do we do then? We have nothing after Brandon Albert. We have Jason Fox again, or move Dallas Thomas over the left to left tackle, which is actually even scarier. So the team has talent at the starting level. But once you remove those starters, it looks like there's a whole bunch of garbage on the bottom. I absolutely 100% agree. I never said that. I said they have talent at the skill positions that we don't think that they have. I completely agree. Well, I didn't, I didn't depth, say that they didn't have talent at the skill positions. The depth, the depth on this team needs to be built. But I think this Dolphins team, where it was two, three, four years ago, was they didn't have the starters. They didn't have that talent at the starter level. So they've built that up now. Now you start building in the depth behind it. I think that you are looking for a key starter in the first round. You're either looking a linebacker, a cornerback, or an offensive lineman. Then from there, you're starting to build that depth. Because, yes, this team needs depth. There are guys that are developing. Jamil Douglas, I love the guy. He needs more playing time next to Ndamukong Sue. Because Earl Mitchell isn't getting it done. If you want to make the Jordan argument, Phillips, you mean Jordan Phillips? Is that what, what did I say? You said Jamil Douglas. Yes, Jordan Phillips. Sorry, Jordan Phillips <laughs> next to Indomitian Sue. You're starting him to get him experience. If you want to make the argument that C.J. Mosley gets the the start instead of uh, instead of Earl Mitchell, I don't have a problem with that. But I think you're starting to see the young guys come in because you have to get that development. But I, I completely agree with you. The linebackers have to be fixed. I love, absolutely love the idea of Koamisi getting a second year at middle linebacker because he is the same type of player, I think, as, um, <coughs> excuse me, as Channing Crowder was a few years ago. He's the guy that we all love to hate on, but he makes the solid plays. He doesn't make the spectacular plays, but he makes the solid plays and he makes sure the defense is in the right position. Now you pushed Koamisi out to the outside, and yes, he's been injured all year, so there's an added stipulation there, but he doesn't work as an outside linebacker as well as he does in the middle, making sure that the two outside guys are in the right position. Kelvin Shepard should not be a starter. Completely and utterly agree with you there. Should not be a starter, but there's nobody else. Chris McCain got beat out as a linebacker. That's why they started to try to make him a defensive end. Now he's back to linebacker. He's starting to get the Jason Allen treatment of moving him around a thousand times before you figure out what position he is. It's the same thing that we were doing to Deion Jordan. And 
theoretically, Deion Jordan is back with his team next year. So the Dolphins still have another talent that's out there, needs to be refined, needs to be figured out, needs to be put in a position and left in a position. So the talent is there. I agree that the depth needs to be fixed, but I think the starting talent is starting to get there. You fix the linebackers, you're going to have to get a cornerback that can either start in place of Jamar Taylor or can start when Brent Grimes is no longer able to play. Because Let's face it, Brent Grimes is getting old. Cameron Wake is getting old. You're starting to get these guys that are older, so you're going to have to replace them eventually. But I think the starting talent at the skill positions on the offense are what is in place, and you're starting to have that core nucleus that can be built upon and built around to get this team moving. You need an offensive coordinator that's going to call plays that works for that nucleus. Right now we have an offensive coordinator that's calling plays that doesn't work. Lamar Miller needs to get the ball more. Lamar Miller needs to be focused on this offense, not in, not a uh, side show. Jay Ajayi needs more carries. They need to get Devontae Parker into the game. But right now he is that fourth wide receiver, probably because he doesn't trust his foot like you said earlier. He doesn't trust his foot. He doesn't want to go out there and make those cuts because that foot is still bothering him. Medical redshirt him for this year. I'm okay with that. But he needs to start getting some experience at the same time. So you're, you're, you're six and one, half dozen in the other. Which way is the right way to go with him? I don't know. But I completely agree with you. The talent at the starting level is starting to get up there. The talent the next level behind it, not quite there because you have players like Jason Fox. Okay, that's I, I that that position I agree with you on. The starting level is starting to get there, but my, what, it's it's really a matter of context when we look at it because my idea of talent is the overall team in general, not just like the starting lineups. Because once a st- starters get hurt, and once they get hurt, then what do you have? If it's really bad, then talent is kind of lacking. Completely agree. Completely agree. Right. Oh, but, okay. 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 So, Chief, I will let you go so that you're not dealing with the background noise behind me. Thank you guys. For one more thing, Devin. Wait, hang yeah. on. One more thing, because I wanted to yeah. ask you this. I asked this question last week on this show and also on my show as well. Um, I'm curious. You mentioned Lazer's play calling and all that stuff, and I'm going to bring this up. You guys, you probably know where I'm going with this. Um, we know that Mike Sherman was an awful play caller as well, and I don't want to compare Laser and Sherman as play callers. But given the playbooks, like the plays that were being called, like the actual plays themselves, if you had to make your decision, if you had to make a choice between the two, Kevin, would you rather have Mike Sherman's playbook with this refined Tannehill, or Key Blazer as his? That's a good question. Um, I'd go Laser, I think, because he does seem to open it up a little bit more. He does go to running the ball a little bit more. So I think there's a little bit in the right direction for this team. Um, it's hard to say because Sherman had success in this league before he became the Dolphins' offensive coordinator. Joe Philbin clearly wanted to, this is a pass-first team, this is a pass-always team. And that's the way Bill Lazor called it. That's the way Mike Sherman called it. I think that in the long run, I would go with Lazor simply because I think Tannehill needed that growth. I think he needed to get out of his college offense and into a modern pro offense. And I think that's what Lazer's trying to get him to, but they need to realize, or Lazer needs to realize, Lamar Miller back there needs more than seven carries. The Dolphins are 4-0 and this year when Miller gets more than 12 carries, 12 carries or more. 
when he gets 11 or fewer, they're 0-6. So that right there is your key. You have to feed Lamar Miller. You have to get him the ball. You get him the ball 12 times. If you give Jay Ajayi eight carries, you're getting your 20 carries a game from a running back, and then you let Ryan Tannehill throw the ball the rest of the time. I think I would go with Lazer's offense versus Sherman's offense, but that's not to say that I'm happy with Lazer's offense. And that's just referring to the playbooks, not the play calling. They're both awful right. play calling. Right. Okay. Thank you. But thanks, guys. You have a good night. Hi, Kevin. It's always so nice to hear from him. I so enjoy our little talk whenever he joins in. Okay, that was good. That was animated. Um, I agree with pretty much everything. Although, uh, Louis, you didn't mention the, the defensive line when you were talking about talent originally. Yeah, I know. I, I I I wanted to get I wanted to get the point over with. Like, there's talent there somewhere, but it's 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 kind of like all the other units on the team. It's kind of hidden underneath other stuff. All right, got a couple of minutes left. Um, I'm out of Kevin jokes for tonight. I'm just appreciative that he actually called in. I didn't think he was going to. Yeah, you can't make any more Kevin jokes. He came. He came. Well, I I, I can I can make Kevin jokes, but. That's like, I don't know, it's not that they're ever sensical. It's like, I think at one point when we first started doing this show and I used to make jokes about Kevin having a mullet, Kevin's bald, but everyone believed he had a mullet. Like, that was like a big thing on the Finsider. People were like, really, he's got hockey hair? No. <laughs> Kevin hasn't had hair since he was probably like 25 years old. And the thing is, like, I for a while there, I thought, he was, I thought he was so much older than me. Kevin's only like four years older than I am. Kevin was born in the 80s. So, well, I, uh, I make all this. I think he was born in 79, wasn't he? I thought he was born in 80. I don't know. He's not here. Maybe. I, for, I, for some reason, because you were born in 78, uh, right? I was, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's my, my strong memory at work. And, uh,. Yeah, I, for some reason, I've always been under the impression that that Kevin was born in 1980, because and, and he's like, his birthday is like at the beginning of the year. It's like January. It's way early on in the year. <laughs> so uh, now that we all know more about him, feel free to make jokes about him having a mullet. Uh, go ahead and make make up anything. Just make make stuff up and just put it out there on Twitter. He'll appreciate it. He and his buddies. He wants his mullet back. He and, he and Pat Polta can have a nice little healthy gut laugh over that going on. Seems like that. I'm, I haven't checked lately, but that that game out with uh, Buffalo and New England appears to be at least somewhat close. Um, I'm not pulling for a playoff spot. I just want to watch the Patriots lose. I felt extremely cheated watching the Giants completely gag that game away last Sunday. So the, I mentioned this last week. I threw a total fit in front of my parents. It was actually kind of embarrassing. It was. It was a fit straight out of something you'd see from, like, the movie Step Brothers. I couldn't believe it. I was so embarrassed afterwards. Like, I just had to leave. So, um, but, I mean, like, what could I say? Like, that that total hot air balloon of an interception that Brady threw up and Collins just flat out just lands on the ground funny and just drops it. I mean, what are you doing? Of course I'm going to get mad about stuff like that. <clears throat> It's almost like fate intervening several times within the span of a few minutes. But, the, you know, the Beckham, Beckham doesn't drop anything. And Beckham just gets 
gets stripped by Mr. Super Bowl Hero. I mentioned that I'm already sick of that guy. So uh, all that is to say that I'm I'm totally okay with watching Buffalo win tonight, which is, frankly, I don't know if I've ever said that before. Especially with Rex and Toe. Ugh. Sweater vest, whatever. Buffalo. Um, anything else you guys want to get out there while, while we're still in the air? We've got a couple of minutes left. Zach, are you still with us? Yeah, I'm just kind of hanging in here. I was enjoying listening to everybody go to town. That's awesome. So you're, it's almost like you're lurking. I love that. That's funny. <laughs> I'm just kind of hanging out in the shadows here. I was going to mention that I'm, I'm a 90s baby to make you guys feel old. Yeah, that's right. You're not you the only one, dude. So is Lewis. You know. Lewis, were uh, you born in 92 or 94? Uh, try in between. You are born in 93. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm only, I'm only you 90. You were wrong both times. Well, you're lucky I was even close, really. Most people wouldn't. Have clue, so you take what you get. And, <clears throat> yeah, that's right. So I get the idea that a lot of people on the Pinsider were born in the 90s, which actually really upsets me. That's like I saw somebody refer to Pearl Jam as classic rock. That's so offensive. Well, let me put it to you from my perspective, because Keith, you're not that much younger than I am. But when I was in high school, you know, there's a lot of good 90s music when I was in high school. My dad grew up listening to 60s music. He was a big Beach Boys fan. There's as much time now between the current time and the music I listened to in high school. There's the same amount of time between when I that time and when I was in high school and the music my parents listened to. Yeah. So the stuff that I used to listen to, classics or oldies, well, that now applies to the music that I listened to in high school. Well, I think I mean, my hair is a little grayer because of that. No, I thought you were going to say, like, your hair is getting longer, like you're growing it out. I thought that was going to be awesome. I have a really strong memory. I can remember living in uh, uh, my parents' or our, our first house, and we moved out of there in 1986, which means I would have been two at the time. And I remember living there. I could tell you anything about it. I'm not making it up. So, I mean, we had NCB early on. And I remember my parents would go out on Saturday nights, and I'd always have a babysitter. And I'd always, I mean, they were always like these teenage girls who would just want to sit there and talk on the phone and um, watch MTV the whole time. So, I mean, I would have that now. What's that? We have that now. Nothing's changed. Well, I mean, what they wanted to watch was a little bit different. Now (laughs) they'd want to sit there and watch watch Teen Mom and all that garbage that's on uh, MTV. But at the time, at the time, it was just videos, which, I mean, that might be a foreign concept to you, Lewis, but at one point... Right, no, I know VHS. <laughs> I'm not that young. No. We're talking about Beta, Beta Max. So, um, so they'd always want to watch MTV and everything. So, I mean, that was when, like, everything was hair bands on MTV on Saturday nights. And, I mean, like, so I remember watching a lot of that, and I thought it was... I thought it was, well, for the most part, I thought a lot of that music, music was cool, especially as I started playing guitar and everything. And by the way, I've always wanted to have a, pod, always wanted to have a podcast where we just sit and talk about music. Because, I mean, Duke and I have a lot of similar interests when it comes to stuff. I know, surprisingly, Zach was into a lot of stuff that I listened to. It's always kind of a crapshoot when you talk to people about sports and then you try to flip the discussion to music. Because some people are just kind of like, yeah, I just listen to like Black Eyed Peas, and you know that's just the end of the conversation right there. And then other <laughs> the times, Black Eyed Peas. That was a great throw yeah. out there. 
yeah, and, and other times uh, you'll stumble upon something and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm really into probably my all-time favorite album is Appetite for Destruction, which is kind of cliche at this point because so, so many people like it. But I can tell you, when I started playing guitar, I'd probably been playing for about a year. I was 13. And the day that school got out, I was, I, I was, it was like the last day of seventh grade. I went and I got Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. I remember taking it home and listening to it. And I also got like a matching like tab book for it. And I have never been so obsessed with anything in my life. I sat there, I would stare at the back cover, all of the, like these pictures of these just ratty, trashy looking guys playing the Sunset Strip and everything. And like, I had a little bit of knowledge about what that scene was like, but for someone like who was just learning to play guitar at that point, that was amazing. Like that's one of like the fondest memories I have just of life in general. So, I mean, that's, that's why the first, I still, but I was going to say, that's the first album I learned to play uh, drums to when I first started playing drums. That whole album was the first thing I did. Yeah. I love that album. I love it so much. And I mean, like, there's, I've grown a little bit tired of a lot of the, the big hits over the years. Like, I don't need to hear Paradise City again. I've heard it at least a billion times in, in my lifetime. But a lot of the, the lesser-known album tracks I love on that Everything's good. And there's a lot of... It's an incredibly awkward album to listen to, to, listen to if you're around, like, adults. Or, like, older people. I remember, like, in high school, like, I brought it in to listen to when we were in ceramics class one time. And, I mean, there are some, like, I won't go into detail, but there are some songs on there where there are some really raunchy things going on. And I remember thinking, like, oh, crap, I forgot about this. And then, of course, like, the entire (laughs) class and the teachers listening to it. And, I mean, you're pretty much SOL at that point. So, and there's a lot of cursing, too. But, I mean, like, it's not, I mean, if if I can call it necessary, like a lot of cursing here in music just kind of feel, you know, it kind of feels contrived. Like it's just done just to do it. On that album, it's almost like he's doing it because it just really adds to the, to the grittiness and really the, the ugliness of the lyrics. You know, I mean, if they're sitting there talking about how ugly, you know, Hollywood is, and I don't know if you've ever seen Hollywood, it is a pretty disgusting place. Like the Sunset Strip is not a glamorous uh, place to walk through. It's pretty gross, actually. So, uh, but, I mean, just for a kid listening to that, I mean, especially when you have, I mean, at that age, you have such an incredible imagination because, I mean, you don't really have any point of reference. And at that time, I didn't even have the Internet. Most people didn't have the Internet. This was in 1997. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you you were left to your own devices for the most part, which is, I mean, you can only imagine. What are you laughing about? <laughs> uh, just, you know, <laughs> Those times, yeah, being nineteen ninety seven. Yep, my first email account was through uh, through the university. It was on a Unix computer. Um, yeah, it was a black screen with orange letters. It was brutal. I think I got the. I didn't get the internet until like the beginning of nineteen ninety nine, and that was we got AOL. And I, I mean, I just you would have thought that it was just state of the art, amazing. You know, with the my, yeah, my old style of tone. I remember AOL. My first, uh, my first internet browser was Netscape Navigator. <laughs> no man, that is nineties right there. That's cool. <laughs> I I can still remember that um, the Netscape dial up screen. So yeah, yeah I mean that uh, stuff. 
But here's the funny thing. But like Zach, you were talking about, about how he learned to learn to play drums of that album, and that album was recorded well. But Zach, you were born. I'm going to take a stab. Was it '94? No, I'm a '93 baby too. We're close. Probably. Oh man, I'm just throwing it left and right, and I'm missing. 90, so you guys are both '93 babies. Okay, so I mean that album's six years older than you are. But I mean, yeah, for so sure, it just goes to show that. I mean, I guess it's it's a similar thing to. Um, a lot of stuff that was recorded in the late seventies that I loved, um, and, and I would listen to. And I mean, like, granted, the the music scene in nineteen seventy eight was kind of a strange thing because it, it's not. I mean, you had you had punk going on, you had like the backlash to all the proggy rock that was coming out of England at that point. Uh, Led Zeppelin was was on the precipice of uh, you know putting out their last album, and then John Bond would die two years later. So. Uh, from 1978, that is, uh, he died a year after the uh, Into the Outro came out. So, but I mean, all of this is to say that it's it's always a crapshoot when when you have conversations like this with sports guys. But you always get a lot of fascinating stuff too. And one of the things I always come back to is um, there's a guy on the Finsider. I don't know, is CT still there? I don't really go to the site anymore. I'm still banned, so I don't either. I'm still banned. <laughs> I don't even know. I've been I've been banned for forever. Who knows why? I probably got really oh, pissed at someone sweet. one day being stupid. All right, no, you're probably just promoting your own site, which is I used to do that too. So welcome to the club. Actually, it's almost like a rite of passage. You have to promote your own stuff on there. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. SB Nation's gonna be so pissed when they hear that. Uh, so, anyway, we were sitting there talking about movies that we liked and everything. And I mentioned that, just like, uh, you know, a movie I've always loved and it's always had a timeless thing is The Wizard of Oz. Just, I mean, like, if you if you watch it as a kid, I can't imagine disliking it, although I've met some people who do. But, I mean, the, the explanation he gave, I was taken aback when I heard it. He called it the most overrated film ever made. And I was like, well, how can you even... You can't even put together a, you know, a, a hypothesis, a, a hypothesis to support that. Like, you, I mean, you can't do anything like that. I mean, you can't call that movie overrated. I just watched it last night. It's not overrated. You might Wasn't not that like the first it. First live action well, color movie too. I'm glad you said something because I didn't know it was on, and I saw that you said that that was your Thanksgiving tradition. So I turned to turn to that channel and watch it. I well, here's the thing. I I feel like I always notice something new when I watch that movie. And the thing I noticed last night is I can only imagine the amount of work that went into writing the songs that went into that film. Like if you got like the Lollipop Guild or the uh, all of the the even just like the the crap that goes on in Munchkinland in that movie, there had to be a ton of work that went into coming out with the score for that. So. Just that alone, yeah. in my opinion, validates that film. But I mean, let me like, drop a little it, I mean, it's, it's, trivia on you. Keith is probably nervous, but I don't know if the rest of you would. That uh, whoever I can't think of his name now. At the beginning of the movie, he plays like five roles. He's the magician. Uh, anyway, they wanted to give him like some raggedy looking clothes because he was supposed to be this poor circus actor. So they went and they went to some place and just found like this old. Uh, jacket for him to wear. Turns out that that jacket was owned by L. Frank Baum, who wrote The Wizard of Oz. 
Yeah. That's, that's pretty uh, extreme stuff. So, I'm yeah, just I listening love, to you guys love, love. being lost. That's all. I'm just I'm I'm here learning about <laughs> the real nineties. Well, again, the Wizard of Oz is classic, and it's, there's just no yeah. way around that. It's a it's a great film, and I love it. Um, but I will. The funny thing about all of this is, if yeah, if you're born in 1993, I'm always interested to hear uh, the you know almost the perspective that you have on a lot of things because I think. I started buying CDs in, like, 1994. You know, that was when, like, there was Columbia House, which I'm sure, I don't know, I mean, Duke certainly remembers, but you used to be able to, there was this racket through Columbia House, and they would send you, like, this crappy little catalog with all these CDs. Columbia and they'd, and they'd give you, like, yeah, and they'd give you 12 for a penny, and you're just like, wow, what a what a deal. And then you realize that you had to sign up to their, their CD of the Month Club, and before you know it, you're getting all these <laughs> Painted stuff, and you have to pay for it. You know, so all of a sudden you're signed up, and you're like, "Why am I getting this Hanson album? Why are you sending me this?" Or Michael Bolton, I don't want this. Well, guess what? You that get first, it, and you have to pay for it. That first Hanson album was pretty catchy, though. Like, it might be some awful devil music, but it was pretty catchy. All right. Uh, Twenty. you say that? Because I remember the first time I. Come on now. The first time I saw the video for Hanson, I remember it. it was a Friday afternoon, and I was probably 13. And I remember it came on, and at first I was confused because I thought they were all girls. And the second thing, <laughs> thing was uh, I just remember thinking, I'm probably going to have to listen to this nonstop for the next six months. And it proceeded to do just that. Like, you couldn't get away from that album or those those uh, little misogynistic-looking uh, jerks. The, uh, the the worst song that I remember from the '90s was that Celine Dion Titanic song, and yeah, that was, was everywhere. It was nonstop. And I remember driving back to uh, <laughs> I was in college, and I was driving back home from college, and the car had a time only had a radio, didn't have the tape player was busted. Tape player was busted, and um, I remember flipping. I had like a couple of a like rock stations, like alternative stations, and then like some of the like top 40 rock or whatever. And I flipped it on one station, and that song was coming on. I flipped it to another one. It was already on. Flipped it to a third station, and it was still on. I'm like, what in the world? Why are you playing this garbage? And yeah, that was like I had a similar greatest experience. song ever in 1997 or 98. I had a um, a similar experience with what to what you just mentioned, that when Blues Traveler put out that song, Runaround, where I think I tried to change the station five times in my dad's truck one time, and it was on every station. So, um, and I'm just getting something now. Did I really just call Hanson misogynist? Yes, I did, because it looked like they were little girl-hating jerks. Uh, that was not uh, a malapropism. Uh, I, I realized people thought I might have meant androgynous. You could say that, too, if you want. But yeah, they look like little, little, <laughs> little girl eating <laughs> jerks at that point. So yeah, no, that was definitely what I'm not. Uh, we got a like a minute or two left. This discussion has turned ridiculous, but this is something that I really want to do. I would love to do like a, a music podcast and have people. You know, I want to talk about stuff like Led Zeppelin and all those bands. Well, but, I want to 
Oh, yeah, I'm going to say something talking about old stuff. <clears throat> Some of you may, may or may not be familiar with Spirit Lake. Spirit Lake is located just on the north side of Mount St. Helens. When it erupted in 1980, it was right in the path of the eruption. You can go on Google Maps right now, look at a current picture of Spirit Lake, and there are still huge swaths of timber floating in the water that was destroyed in the 1980 eruption. Still floating there, almost 40 years later. Go to Google Maps and look at it. Just found that out today. That fascinates me. Oh, don't say 40 years. Say 35. <laughs> That's brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 40 My years. My years can attest to that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, almost 40 years ago, and the timber is still floating in the water. I'm looking at it now. It's crazy. That's and amazing. It's like five pieces of lumber. It's like mounds of it. Yeah, like it, it's like the whole northern shore. Yeah. Crazy. None of you were born when that happened. No, not no, even close no. to being born. No, I was negative four years old. So, so. Next time, I don't know. I was story like, time with Keith. What is that? What this has turned into? Not really. This seems like it feels somewhat collective. It's not me like forcing grandpa stories on people. I mean, if they want that, then I'm I'm happy. Next time, to story time with Keith and Duke. Sir, serve that role. Well, you know, we can only sit around and talk about the dolphins and how much they suck for so long. Give us something to actually enjoy here, you know. So Steve Spurrier uh, for head coach, you know, drunk grandpa. Yeah, there you go. And we and we came to the conclusion that Hanson are indeed misogynist. So never forget. So um, we're back to Wednesday next week. Uh, although I'm not gonna lie, I kind of like doing the show on Mondays, and I think after uh, Monday Night Football's over or something, maybe we can get it moved. It just feels feels nice. It feels fresher to to get a get a grip on all this stuff the day after it happens. I mean, of course, it's a little weird when if you know it comes back to the football season, we got to move it again, especially because it was such a a task to get to find a, an ideal night for it. So. On that note, though, we'll go ahead and uh, turn it over for the night. We talked about everything from Kevin's mullet and the Dolphins to uh, the Wizard of Oz, which I'm all about. I want, I'm going to look in to see if I can just do – maybe just do, like, a podcast on the side or something where you can sit there and we can just talk about, like, pop culture the whole time. We talk about movies, all the stuff I'm really into. I love TV, too. If anyone ever needs a, a bar trivia person, I'm definitely your guy. I've never lost. And I think I've won probably like close to seventy times. I'm not even kidding. So, but why haven't you gone on a game show yet and become a millionaire? Well, I I don't know if I'm that good. There's I'll tell you, there's a couple of areas where I'm not as good. But like my cousin-in-law, he's he's like a genius with geography. So it's almost like he serves as like the the counterside brain to when we go out and do that kind of stuff. And so I'm covered. Uh, trying to think there's a like the strengths I have like I love I love history uh, music sports obviously uh, TV and movies that's pretty much where I'm at uh, but I'm not really good with a lot of current stuff like I, you know I keep up with current events 
but there's a lot of stuff that goes on in today's culture, and it always comes up on Twitter, and I'm like, what is that? Like, what is dabbing? Can somebody explain that to me? What is what? Dabbing. All I had through my Bleacher Report app this week was so-and-so dabs, and I was like, what the hell is that? No clue. No clue at all. I still don't even. I don't even know what you said. Still, I, I'm still trying to figure. out. Did you say batting, dabbing, like what? You had it the second time. Dabbing. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know what I dabbing. I I've heard of dabbling, cool. but but dabbing as far as <laughs> dabbing as far as I know has something to do with drugs, but that's not what they're talking about. Oh, well, <laughs> Everything has something to do with that. drugs. Yeah, there's always if a drug connotation. If you want to dab, it's very easy. Here's what you do. Yeah. You stick your left arm straight out to the side. You turn slightly to the right. You put, you stick your right arm in front of you and sneeze into your elbow, and you've just dabbed. Did you actually Google that? Uh, nope. That's the dance. Mind blown. Wow, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Uh, by the way... Uh, why did Duke just, know that? <laughs> there's a there's a joke that uh, every everything it has to do with drugs. Uh, in pop culture, that's often true. And I will tell you that here's a little secret: if you ever listen to a song in which monkeys in the title, monkey always refers to drugs. Just say, so there's your little the, there's your little the more you know star for today. I'm gonna fold it up. I was so heart about, I was so heartbroken. I was so heartbroken when I learned that the song Puff the Magic Dragon was about. Drugs. I didn't know that when I was a little kid. <laughs> I thought it was. I th- I took the song literally. I didn't know it was about drugs. <laughs> well, uh, and then you learn that most of the best music ever made was unfortunately created, you know, while they were by, high, yeah. by Ill- illicit substances. All right, so that's it for this week. This really got <laughs> off track, but I'm not sorry. I enjoyed it. So um, for uh, my 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 host Lewis and Duke and our guest uh, host uh, Zach. Kevin called in. Thank you for doing that. Uh, your bullet is ugly. So um, from all of us, have a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Have a great holiday. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving, Seven. guys. Oh. See you later. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Support for Pivot comes from Polestar. At Polestar, every inch of every vehicle they design is thoughtfully made. They're made to transform auto performance, accelerating from 0 to 60 in less than 4.2 seconds with fully electric all-wheel drive. They're made to elevate the driving experience with LED headlights and a panoramic glass roof. And they're made to uphold a greater responsibility to the planet using sustainable materials and energy-saving systems. 
The result is a car that combines the best of today with the technology of tomorrow. Pure performance, pure design, Polestar. Design yours and book a test drive today at polestar.com.